This is Zach Edwards from Black Diamond Garden Centers, and you're listening to your Midwest Garden Podcast. It's your Midwest Garden Podcast. Today, it's all about fall plants. Today's discussion is Season 2, Episode 21. Hi, I'm Michael Rourke, the Garden Guy, along with freshman gardener Scott. Today's guest is Zach Edwards, president and buyer or purchasing agent for Black Diamond Garden Centers in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan. Yep, we brought in the big guns from our sponsor's store. We'll be discussing various types of new fall plants and some of the traditional offerings. But first, da-da-da-da, Scott has an important announcement to make. Mr. Sansom, take it. So I have good news and bad news. So you do, do you? So yes, that's three drinks for everybody. Okay, what 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 news? You said bad news and good news. Good news and bad news. Well, the good news is no. Let's hit us with the, the bad stuff first. Well, the bad news is the whole show's canceled. Not oh. this show, <laughs> the Garden oh. Center show in yeah. Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Well, that saves me from embarrassing myself. Okay, we were scheduled to be keynote speakers there. Yeah, we were. We got invited. We had, yeah. We're hitting the big time, Mike. Yeah, well. <laughs> and, and then they pulled the rug out from underneath us. Well, it kind of hurt. Too. But then we got good news again because they invited us back for next year. They did. They did. Like and back, like we were there and did good. They didn't know anything yet, do Well, they? we have the possibility of a few other things, too, that I will announce later after I discuss it with, with, with Scott because Scott has to have his two bits in before I say yes to anything. That's no, right. you're married. That's right. So, anyway... There's another so. Take that's, another that's shot. That's just three in the last that's two four. minutes. Four. four. Yes, I'm counting. Anyway, so the Five. other the, the other thing is is uh, all of our listeners, we need you to subscribe um, on your favorite podcast app to this show, or go on Facebook, like our page, or the Instagram. Get a little more active, please. Um, you know. It sounded like you were, you know, lecturing them. I kind of am. Well, why? Because, you know, we just, we do this for fun. We're not getting paid anything. Of course not. And the only way that we get rewarded is the activity on the sites. Interaction. Yes. Okay. So in order to have that happen, the more people that like on their podcast app or subscribe, that just pushes us higher, not for ratings, but higher in search engines. Hey, so we, people can find us easier. Please hit that subscribe button so people can find us, and it just makes it a lot easier for everybody. That was six. So introduce our guest. Let's get talking about the fall. The guest, yes. As I said earlier when I made the announcement, we've got the president of Black Diamond Incorporated. Actually, it was, it's a, it's a uh, an independent, um, I want to say retail business. It's been around for quite some time. Very successful in Northwest Ohio, Southeast Michigan. Uh I'm going to introduce him, and I want him to basically almost run with it because I don't think he's prepared for this thing at all. Hey, Zach. Zach Edwards from Black Diamond Incorporated. Say hello. Hello. Okay, he's done. Now, <laughs> we got that. I want to ask you a question. How long has the company been in business? I want I – want, because some people say it was 1952. Some people say it was 1954. When was it? When it first started? And why is it called Black Diamond? 
you can do this came out guns blazing and put me right in the middle of the heated 52 to 53 debate so i'm gonna go with 53 because that's what i put in the logo (laughs) and the the logo's everywhere so that's what it is all right we'll go official now you're saying 1953 is when both dan sullivan your uncle and your grandfather jerry sullivan decided they would go in cahoots and business with your grandfather right bw or bernie Correct. Okay, what made them, what, what, what was the, I mean, was there a business there beforehand? Yes, they were a coal company, which is where the name Black Diamond comes was from. Was that, no schmutz, Black Diamond Coal. Well, Black Diamond Coal Company. Okay, well, now is that a variety of coal, or was it just something that, you know, they decided, well, you know, Black Diamond is helping to feed us, it's like diamonds in the rough, let's go. I mean, it's a little bit before my time, but I assume it was the type of coal when you needed warmth and heat in your house. You that, should know your family history, yeah. Zach. Well, do you want to know the the age-old joke? I'm sure you've heard it before, but do you want me to tell it again? Let me ask. Let me ask. Let me, wait, wait, wait. Let me see it. They, they, they were struggling to decide whether it was going to be a mortuary or a garden center. Correct. In either case, you were going to plant something, right? Either way. Rather than live. Either way, something was going in the ground. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, anyhow, all right, so the business basically is, I don't want to say prospered. It's had its ups and downs like with everything in the economy and every, all of this. However, it's become a leading factor in the industry in Northwest Ohio. Probably, I don't want to say all of Ohio, but a good portion of the Midwest. Can you give me an idea and give, your, give our listeners an idea as to what Black Diamond primarily does as far as the gardening industry itself? Sure. Two uh, retail locations, independent garden centers, full-scale uh, nurseries, uh, greenhouses, uh, hard goods, mulches, soils, uh, both those types of things in Toledo and Perrysburg, Ohio. A uh, five-step weed control and fertilizer program that services parts portions of southeast Michigan and northwest Ohio. And then a sister lawn service branch that serve, uh, services the uh, suburban Detroit area, Troy, things like that. Uh, you know, so you are, w- this is basically the heart of the Midwest. So you do, it's, it's a full service garden center, primarily, with the exception that you don't do any spraying or control of any types of uh, pests on trees and shrubbery. No trees and shrub for the lawn service. They pretty much stick to turf. The um, turf building? Mm-hmm. Now that's, well, that's, you know what? I'm putting four and four together. That's what Dave Slavinsky's from. You know, the guy that wants the crab legs and the M&Ms, no brown ones? Yes. Okay, what are we giving Zach? He's, he had nothing in his tech writer. Nothing in the tech writer? He brought what? his own water. My first podcast. I'll come back <laughs> with uh, only, yellow, only yellow M&Ms if I'm invited back. Only yellow? Mm-hmm. On page 16. With or without nuts. I uh, never mind. Anyhow, we're going into, all right, now you've been there since, you know, you, you were conceived. The thing that I want to prim- primarily find out is, what type of business you're promoting, basically, you've been in the business for such a long period of time. What is it that, that, that basically people are being inspired by right now? Because way back in the 60s, before you and I and anybody else started getting into the gardening, everybody wanted their lawns, and that was the only thing that they wanted to look like a golf course. So that's where bluegrasses came into play. Now it's a great big different industry. I mean, at that time, you know, give me a couple of U's so I get some green there. Give me a bluegrass lawn. Everything's happy. Go lucky. I'm going to be cool. Now it's not quite as uh, simple or black and white as that, is it? No, definitely not as black and white. Way more robust. Um, you don't see nearly as much of an emphasis on, I just want a nice lawn and low-maintenance landscaping. Some people need that. Some people 
um, you know, new homeowners want to keep it simple, but people that have been gardening or landscaping, you know, for as long as we've been a business, you know, they're definitely trying to, they want new things. They want new plants. They want to try something different. They want to try something that not everyone else on the block has. Because they grow as a gardener as well along with the company. Exactly. The evolution, you know, you know, the, the trends were some of the trends that they were on the forefront of, you know, maybe 40 years ago. And now there's new trends and there's new things that they, they may be leading the way or they may be looking to see, you know, to us to see what those new trends are. Yeah. I remember when, you know, 60s, early 70s, when you had people that were fanatics about roses, people that were fanatics about you know, uh, hybriding them and, and, and protecting and growing them or things of that nature. And that was the big thing. Roses, use uh, and lawns. Nowadays, it's transitioned or was it a gradual transition or was it a great big break that got people involved in these different types of plants? I mean, they want to go low maintenance. They don't want to play with it. Both moms and dads are working for the most part. Uh, they want pretty to come home to, they want pretty to tend to over the weekend, but they don't want to spend an arm and a leg, both with their equity, their money, and their time to, to pay attention to it. So well, let me ask you this. How do you basically accommodate, and what are you finding out in the Midwest here, their activity, the, the things that they're interested in? Moms that have been working 40 hours a week, dads that have been doing the same thing, picking their kids up at the daycare and then coming back home. What is it that they, they primarily are looking sure, for? Sure, yeah. I, I mean, I think one of the nice things about the Midwest and about Ohio in general is, you know, we have all four seasons, and I think each season brings something to the table that when you get beyond just the novice or the first-time gardener, they realize that it doesn't matter how cool a plant was, if it if what's cool about it or what's attractive about it or what is the most interesting part about it was in the spring, and they're spending a lot of time outside – then they, the question becomes, well, what does something like that or what's something as appealing as that, but in the summer but in the fall? Or, you know, when you get somebody who really gets the bug, like Scott's starting to get, hmm. what what looks cool in the winter? And you're, you're thinking, well, we live in Ohio. Nothing's cool about the winter. But at the same time, there are a few answers to those questions for people that are curious about it. The mapas, the blue collar, all the way up to the people that are, you know, the very wealthy want to have something that's going to be low maintenance regardless, but they want the color in the spring. They want the color in the summer. They want the color in autumn and they want the color in the wintertime. And that's what black diamond has been doing as far as accommodating people for all of that, but in a low maintenance category. Now there's dwarf plants that are out there right now that used to be before when you sold them that were got to be about 12 to 15 feet tall. Um, do you have anything that you're finding right now? So this is going to be leading us into, we're right now in the middle of the summertime. What are you going to promote or what are you looking at as far as what's going to be going from huge to dwarf? And then how are we going to go into autumn with this? I think a, a, a good example of a plant more, you know, as you know, pertains to what you're talking about would be like an aronia. It's a native plant to the area, very cool fall color actually gets a fruit on it that uh, can last into winter for some of that winter color and winter interest. But it got 12 feet tall. We sell a variety specifically called Viking. You don't call a plant Viking unless it means business technically. And it's not because it's just going to get overlooked in the yard. But they've come out, I know Proven Winters has come out with a couple different varieties of improved aronia. So when you say dwarf, the first thing that comes to my mind is usually, yes, they've modified it, they've made it more compact, but they've also improved it. Some of that's their term, but it's a nice it's a nice terminology to to get familiar with because 
They've gotten rid of the fruit, which not everybody is looking for, but not everybody wants something that's going to attract animals and birds to their yard. They like the fall color foliage, but they've sacrificed the fruit, but they've also made it more compact. So one is called a low-scape hedger. Pretty much grows on a little four to five foot upright plant, and so it can make a formal hedge. It can, but it also can naturalize an area, and it can fill some of those. It checks some of those boxes, I should say, when you're talking about adding more fall and late season interest to your garden. Uh, you know, you made mention about you know a specific type of color without, and what they're going to sacrifice the fruit and that. We're noticing that there's more and more people that are becoming more and more interested in, um, let's say, birds attracting them more so than just feeding them than giving them you know let's say the millet the mile of the wheat they're bringing in plants that they basically will attract themselves to with the exception some people go a little overboard you know the little finch loves the thistle well at least the downiness of the opening pod from the thistle uh they line their nests with it and i the only way i learned that one was from the old timers from centuries ago um but now there are hybrids of plants that are what we consider to be Oh, gosh, native or natural to this area or to these areas, the Midwest. What Are you finding this to be more of a trend that people are leaning towards, or is it a fad? No, definitely more of a trend. I think it started as a fad, but it's one of those things that's really taken root. Some of that's because— uh, I uh, like that. See, he got uh, took taken root. Taken root. Uh, uh, that, was, that was no— Okay, never mind. So uh, it's one of those situations where it's. It, I think it was checking a couple boxes for people, and then people realized, and even we realized it's checking a few more boxes. So something like a, a native varieties of viburnum come to mind. There's one called blue muffin. Spring blooms, so you get a little bit of color earlier in the year. Good fall color. Uh, if you get the right uh, mate for it as far as a cross-pollinator of another type of viburnum, so I know Chicago Luster is another good variety, then you're getting a bluish uh, tint-colored fruit to it. An illuminating bluish-colored tint. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's what, yeah, that's where the name comes from, Blue Muffin. Yeah. So then you're talking about even more color and interest deeper into the season. And when you're talking about maybe new development in these really flat areas of Ohio that used to be farmland, you know, in northwest Ohio and in the suburbs, you're trying to find plants that are durable, find plants that can handle maybe an extreme cold weather season, whether it be a polar vortex or just, you know, above average snowfall for our area. And and something like a viburnum, something like the aronia that we mentioned before, those can handle the rigorous conditions and be a nice-looking plant that um, ultimately, at the end of the day, you don't have to worry about. Well, which... primarily, most of these plants are going to tolerate the cold. They just will not to- – certain ones will not tolerate the winds, prevailing winds, especially in the wintertime. Um, now, it doesn't mean that it has to be deciduous or that it loses its leaves in order for it to stay dormant. I mean, there's evergreens that are out there right now that do go dormant, but they need the moisture that's in the foliage to rebound the following season whether it's a dwarf yew, whether it's a dwarf boxwood, whether it's a dwarf holly. Now, mind you, remember, Zach, you did make mention that, yes, this is northwest Ohio. This is basically the black swamp area. We've got people that are going in either direction as far as what they call natives, ornamental natives or black swamp natives, going back to the basic indigenous plant life that was here to draw in the indigenous um, critters, whether it's insects, pollinators, or whether it's birds, I mean, for instance, we've already brought in deer, so you might as well give up, roll down, lay down on our backs and say, I give. What is it that you're noticing right now that becomes more and more, I mean, is it, is it that there are people that want something that's going to be 
pretty versus something that's only going to be pretty for a very short period of time or something that's going to be functional, like you had made mention of, as far as bringing the birds or other critters in? Um, I would say we still see a good mix of both as far as um, customers off the street. There's definitely a person who comes in, they want year-round color, low maintenance, and those are the two boxes that they're looking to have checked. All right. And then there's people that maybe that was them two years ago or three years ago when they first bought their, you know, their, their new home, and they're getting tired of the rigmarole, and sometimes experience is the best teacher. And now they're like, I want something that's at least going to be there next year and I don't have to worry about and I'm not spending all this time just trying to get it survive. See? But looks are becoming a secondary option for that person. And and from my perspective, when I'm talking to them about plants and, and, and recommending certain plants, you know, that's where we're getting down to, is this a zone five plant? Is it a zone four? Are, are you situated in what was a cornfield less than 18 months ago? <laughs> and do you need a, so do you need a zone three plant? You know, well, and, and, look, yeah. and looks are not at the forefront, maybe, of it, and that's the higher priority. I mean, and nothing's exact. Everybody's saying right now, especially with this COVID stuff, it's science. Listen to the science. Believe the science. Well, you brought something very important up, the zoning. We're stuck in northwest Ohio, southeast Michigan, between a zone five and a four. Um, the numbers, the lower the number, the colder the climate, the less tolerant it's going to be for other plants that we can probably consider ornamental to survive the wintertime. Uh, I, I, I have so many things that I want to ask you right now, but when it comes to the, the overwintering aspect of it, what plants do you recommend in, or is it a soil thing or is it a direction thing? Like you said, a farm field, or do you have to find out almost the personal span, lifespan, lifestyle of your customer before you even recommend anything? Uh, we ask a few questions just as a way to get a feel for where they're trying to put a plant, what, what kind of plant will hold up in that environment. One of the biggest things is always going to be the amount of light that plant gets or shade, uh, and then what direction it faces, because that has a big uh, say in, in how much uh, of a beating that plant's going to take possibly in the winter. You got people that want, let's say a woman comes into your store, I want a dogwood, a beautiful pink dogwood, I want it, blah, 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 but they live... In a, in a township that is nothing but bedrock clay, and there isn't any protection at all as far as the diverting of the winds. Are you going to sell that to that person just for the sake of selling it to them, or are you going to try to convince them to do something of an alternative? I'm probably going to talk about alternatives, and I'm going to tell them if your heart's set on the dogwood, plant it on the eastern side of your house, maybe the northeastern side, because at that point the house becomes the, the, the predominant production for the plant. Now, why do they need that protection? Uh, basically from westerly and southwesterly winds in the winter. It's the winter time that'll knock it out. Yep, and that's why I even say I start with the east because if we get cold Canadian winds coming down from the north, the north side can take, take a hit too. Yeah, yeah, we've got the nor'easters that come in and it'll knock things apart, but that's rare. Best time to get something like that, dogwood, tree, redbud, etc., in the autumn, but you have a hard time finding what you're going to need. The best time to find a tree is going to be in the fall, I mean in the spring. Now, what are you going to recommend that people do as far as, you know, late summer, early autumn to get things ready for the following season? Yeah, I think the best way to approach it if for some reason you're you're just getting to your landscaping in the fall or if you've just moved or whatever your situation may be, rather than try to fit a square peg in a round hole and say, I really want this dogwood or I really want this spring blooming tree or plant X, Y, or Z, um, there's a lot of great plants for the fall 
that will check a lot of, of boxes for you that you can take care of going into autumn, going in even into late, you know, early winter. And, and then and when the next spring rolls around, you're just going to have a much better selection of plants. Yeah. Get the things that you can get now or in the fall or in the autumn and put them in generally. The pricing isn't going to, you know, you'll find some places that are going to fluctuate on pricing, but it's basically the type of plant that you need to grow in the certain areas. Um, for instance, when we said dogwood, eastern portion, there's a hardier one that's out there that you can if you can still find it, which is a Kusa dogwood or Korean dogwood, which people generally don't consider to be a dogwood, but that's an alternative. Um, well, and if I always ask people and start naming me plants, I'm probably going to start to get a lot of spring blooming plants first. I'll probably trickle into summer. And then once you get to fall, your, your casual gardener or your novice gardener, your person just off the street, they're going to start to, that, that list is going to get really small. And that's okay because spring is more exciting. Spring has more color. Spring definitely has more of a drive to it for, you know, most of the country, really. It doesn't matter if you're in the Midwest or even in the South. Spring, you know, spring's reputation, you know, it's got that reputation for a reason. Hey, we'd like to thank Black Diamond Garden Centers for sponsoring your Midwest garden. We record this podcast on site at the Toledo location amidst all the smells of budding flowers, the manures, the chicken schmutz, you name it. If you're in the Toledo or Perrysburg, Ohio area, please stop by either Black Diamond location for all your gardening needs. And remember, ask someone who knows. Most garden centers are going to bring something in for the fall, not necessarily just to spur, you know, excitement for the end of the season, but for the next season. Uh, and that's going to be, I mean, people generally do not happen to be thinking or looking forward to, oh dear, Christmas is coming. Yay, I'm excited. That means snow and cold. But to, to get things ready for the next season, what are you bringing in? What are you, oh, for instance, are you bringing soils? Are you bringing in special plants? Are you, uh, is there something that the Midwest in itself is generally benefiting from that they can go ahead, let's say mom and dads that have just, you know, Got three kids, a 12-year-old, an 8-year-old, and a 2-year-old, and they want to be able to do something in the fall to get ready for the next season. Um, definitely for the people who want it, the people who are looking for that specifically, we definitely have a lot of plants for the fall. Um, there's you know, options for color. There's options for natives, birds, pollinators, like some of the things that we've touched on. Are there plants that, like, the distributors have come to all the garden centers across the Midwest and said, hey... You know, we kind of have this new release for this coming fall or anything like that. I or mean, they this- will have, if it's not new, new, they'll always have a fall program okay. um, that it's got, a, it's got a fall branding. They'll take some plants that weren't necessarily not available before, but they'll put a little fall branding tag in them and, and let them know that this is something, you know, that way the the novice gardener, but also, you know, your your lesser trained staff knows that this plant was brought in for fall. Um, so like a good one is uh, what they call an anemone, which is a nice, colorful, fall-blooming plant. It's a perennial. Uh, it's fairly hardy for our, or for the Midwest and, and for your colder climates. Um, pink color, kind of a yellow flower, almost looks like, a, like an aster. Yeah, see, there's, this is where you, it's more than just like you said, mums. Bringing mums, corn stalks and stuff like that. Let's go into autumn. Let's have apple cider and let's go ahead and, you know, play some autumn music for, you know, Thanksgiving. No, this is something that is going to graduate. Now, if somebody's open enough to be able to listen to somebody that is experienced in, in, let's say, the gardening, like Zach, who's been in it for years, 
he can direct them. He, but he's like he said, he wants to pick their brains for the season and then find out how they're going to go. And then this is how he's going to recommend. They don't have to follow the recommendation. And they can go ahead and do something that they, well, I'm going to do this anyways. But then they, that type of person is going to find out for themselves whether this plan is going to make it or not. And they're going to say, oh, well, Zach was right. So that's why he's right now. We're going right into what he's going to recommend for the following season. Now, he orders trees. He orders all of basically the, the plant stock over there, plus the other material that's over there. Don't you do that? Well, yeah, and there's by no means, you know, anything strange or exotic about these plants. You can find them at most garden centers. It's just more of the timing of maybe you don't go to your garden center as much in the fall. Or maybe you go, you blow by all the, you know, go straight to the mums, and you don't take a look at maybe this other section. And so a lot of these plants and the idea behind some of the branding and the tag is they try to get them looking as good as possible. They want you to catch their eye on the display. They're trying to, you know, the idea is always blooming. So just like in the spring, plants are blooming. That's what you're going to gravitate towards versus a plant that's not blooming. These are, you know, fall blooming plants like a sweet autumn clematis. If you've ever had one in your yard. Exploding in white. Even a spring or a summer blooming clematis, it's, it's an eye catcher because not everyone can grow them and you don't necessarily see them everywhere. But that is a white fall blooming clematis. Uh, very dramatic uh, look to it. A little bit um, of a scent to them also. Yeah, a little bit of a fragrance. Um, just really eye-catching for the fall. I mean, it's a climber, so you need to have, you know, a trellis or a fence or a, something and for it to Some climb. people consider them to be, you know, a little overbearing, but... They can here, be. Here's, here's a question I have. Autumn's coming, and it's almost here, uh, but perennials. I am of the idea, I've been doing this for about 40-plus years, that if you can get a perennial now, a perennial flower, and know what it's going to do and when it's going to bloom, get it now if you can. Even though it doesn't look like the best specimen in the world, the roots are still active. Am I a little far off, or is this something that basically, you know, yeah, take them, get them, drop them in if you can find them? Oh, yeah. I mean, right now, I think if you can find something like a uh, hypericum or what's sometimes called a St. John's wort, I mean, that's going to catch your eye in the spring with it's usually of a yellow bloom. Not huge, but very nice. And then as we go into the fall, you're seeing a nice change in the foliage. And you're even seeing here at the end, late summer, you're seeing a very striking different colored fruit on them that's going to last all through the fall. you finding people are interested in uh, perennials that can go and do tinctures and salves and things of that nature. Recently, Scott and I went over to a lavender farm, and the scow's got like about 27 different varieties of lavender. But she uses them for tinctures, salves, it's aromatherapy, things of that nature. Do you have perennials that can do or provide for that? I know you're probably going to be providing a couple of varieties of, of lavender, but are there remedial plants that are indigenous or, or perennials? Uh, I mean, yep, lavender is a nice one year-round. It definitely is, is something that looks just as good in the fall, if not better, than it did in the spring. Uh, autumn joy sedum is uh, one of those plants that, that really pops in the in the fall as well. Um, anything with fragrance, no matter when it is, is is always, you know, that's that's like adding options to your car. You know what I mean? The, the plant itself was already probably pretty nice. The fragrance just makes it that much nicer. Now, prepping things for next season, if they're going to be planting something this year, do you have amendments that you that you recommend for it, or is the amendments going to be still there or by the following spring? Or is this something that the roots are going to still be active and pursuing some nutrients? Yeah, I mean, in this part of the world, the planting season isn't long enough for you to get too picky. So we're the general rule of thumb is always from when the ground thaws to when the ground freezes again. 
And, and that's going to go true as far as the soil amendments as well. If you're going to amend your soil in the spring for a new planting, there's no reason not to do that in the fall as well. Have we basically, now there's a lot of things right now that people generally just, you know, think for right now, all I want to do is mow my lawn. I don't want to do any hedge trimming or anything of that nature. They want to be able to go outdoors and play. And I think there's going to be more activity in that direction. Can we stretch the season out into the autumn uh, a little bit further? I mean, are there specific plants that you can put in right now or even in up into Thanksgiving, as long as you know what in the world you're looking for? Oh, yeah. I think if you're in your garden center right now and you want something that looks good the day you buy it, but you know that it's going to last even into, say, October, possibly even November, depending on your area, um, and, and you don't want it to just be a mum that, that everybody has that they sell at every store, uh, your, your independent local garden center will have what they call, a, uh, there's two different plants, a, a winterberry, which there's a few different subcultivars. Well, that sounds interesting, yeah. Mm-hmm. You're talking about something that's fruiting right now in a lot of different colors. Uh, there's, a, there's a new one that I don't think we have yet that we'll have soon. It is called Purple Giant, which is named for the purple fruit. Um, so you're talking about fruit in mid to late summer that's going to last and give you that purple color through the fall. Well, anything that fruits is going to have a flower. And Correct. it's going to have, you're going to have the, fu- you're going to have the leaves, you're going to have the flower, you're going to have the fruit. So technically during the growing season, that's going to be giving you that. Is there anything that's going to be beneficial over the winter from it though? I mean the birds and things like that. If you're, if you're oh, so a the berries bird lover, are going to hang on to. Yep, the, uh, you're talking about edible fruit through the winter that attracts the birds and gives the the birds that don't um, fly south for the winter something to eat. It's only the birds. I mean, do you notice anything that's going to help the rabbits and the squirrels, other than people bark all the time about them? Besides, you know, I'm sure you sell peanuts and things of that nature. But is there a plant out there that you know? Uh, you could go ahead, and everybody's going to benefit from it, or is it just something that you're going to say, ah, eh, you know? Uh, Let's just worry about the birds for a moment. I mean, the deer, forget it. They're going to come over regardless. I usually let the deer and the rabbits fend for themselves. Okay. Well, and there's no amendments. There's no anything that you're going to want to put down to enhance the color for the following season. I mean, are there nutrients that you can put in? If if you've got something that you want to get a glorious, beautiful color from, for instance, on a hydrangea, we used to say that, you know, especially the macrophylla, if you want to change the color or enhance it, use aluminum sulfate. Uh, mixed in water and poured at the base of the plant. That's going to enhance. If you want it blue, you're going to get the richest, deepest damn blue you've ever seen. Um, Is there anything that you can, like phosphorus? I know that there's a big hype right now about phosphates, uh, especially for polluting the Midwest, you know, lake system or the aquifers, but your standard homeowner is not going to be using that much that it's going to drain into the water system or into the sewer system so it's going to affect anything, especially if they're properly educated. Do you have anything like that? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of different plant foods you can use depending on what you're going to put it on and what the time of year is. But I always tell people um, a couple different things. One is that if it's already a repeat-blooming plant like a macrophile hydrangea, that's a plant that if the weather stays warm, it's already going to have a hard time shutting down because it's been genetically engineered to just bloom and bloom and bloom. So you don't want to do too much late year fertilization to it, especially if we get um, below average, you know, cold for your area, then it's going to be uh, take an even harder hit because that new growth needs to harden off and survive the winter. Yeah, expand on that. Basically, the the, the macrophylla is going to be setting up its buds in the fall, doesn't it? Correct. Yeah, I mean, it's basically, the, you know, the, the stems are the skin and that skin's got to toughen up. It's got to grow a layer that can handle cold temperatures. So if you've just been hammering your your plant with fertilizer from late summer all the way up until, you know, the snow flies, 
you're looking at a plant with a bunch of young tender growth that's just not going to survive the winter. It's on steroids. Um, mm-hmm. That then okay. So it, to to satiate those people that love to feed, that love to to get out there and have to do something to their plants, you can get something like a superphosphate or a triple superphosphate, more in a granular form than a liquid. And put it out there when the weather is cold and it's going to stay cold. And then it's there for you next spring when the plant can use it, when the moisture soaked it in. And, and, and you really, you know, it's it's less muss, less fuss for you because you just got to sprinkle it on the ground. Like the plants that, that, that for the fall that you want to enhance the fall color, but also you want to promote for the following season like the perennials, like the woody ornamentals, things of that nature. Nutrients. You do not want, like you said earlier, give them any type of major nutrient too late into the season. Why? Because, all right, the Midwest, you have fluky seasons. You've got seasons where it can get down to sub-zero for about 21 days straight and then go up to, boom, 40 degrees. You're going to get some sapping, especially sapping upward with those nutrients in there, and then it's going to go down again to sub-zero temperatures. It's going to shock that plant, and then it's going to not do it any good, really. So that is one of the reasons why I'm not going to promote, and you just hit it right there on the head, that, you know, you really don't want to push anything as far as nutrient-based or fertilizing right in the fall. Let them go to sleep. Correct, yeah. Changing weather patterns definitely wreak havoc on plants. Plants like consistency. You know, the, the gardening industry is set up for, at least where there's four seasons, for those seasons to be somewhat consistent from year to year. And in years where you don't see that, um, yeah, you might have to really fertilize and help a plant along in the spring if the spring's having a, you know, a slow startup and, and you're having issues getting plants to come out of dormancy. But in the fall, definitely don't do anything to interfere with that plant going into dormancy and trying to go to sleep. Now, are there any new plants that are hybrid right now that can be considered, oh, native plants or even, you know, you've named a couple of them already, Zach, but is there something that you're more partial to? Um, nothing that I mean, I'm particularly other- partial to. I would say if you're, there's one plant that I really think is almost better in the fall than it is in the spring, and you could get it both times, it's a plant, it's an annual in our, uh, in our zone, uh, it's called Celosia. And you'll start to see, and you're seeing that more and more as people are experimenting more and more and trying to get away from your your standard mums and, and, and more typical plants. Well, um, go ahead. Mixed, mixed in, you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be just this one type of plant. Complementary plants with each other. Um, that, that's a really striking lot of different magentas, pinks, and purples. Now, pulling into the studio today, I noticed on both sides of the driveway that there's an, a, a, an overabundance, in, which is beautiful, of coneflower. And your your hydrangeas, now these are paniculatas, are going crazy also. So you've got all sorts of stuff that's that's going really, really well right now. And that's going to carry on into autumn, even closer to, let's say, after Halloween. Um, Absolutely. But those are, though, with the exception of the, well, the paniculata, it's, I think he's got what they call the standard quick fire, which is going to be about six feet tall. But he's got the coneflower, which are the native coneflower. There are different varieties right now that are out there that are just pastels that look gorgeous. Do you have any over there at your place? Oh, yeah. It seems like every year there's about five or six new varieties of, of echinacea coneflower. And, and that's a good one to bring up because I don't think of it as fall, even though it's probably almost at its peak once you get to just about late summer or fall. But it's something that you can get in the spring. It doesn't look like much. It's a little unassuming and underwhelming. But yeah, right now when you see them, in this, especially in this summer heat, you're, you're seeing uh, them really thrive. And that's what I always tell people about perennials. 
an annual is color that you got to plant every year, but it's color for that whole year that you bought it. A perennial, you're going to get color year round, but you need to patchwork it together. You got to implement different pieces and then you don't have to plant those every year. You can, you can get that year round spring to fall color and, and an echinacea of the coneflowers is a really good example of that because it's going to complement maybe a plant that hasn't even started doing much yet or maybe that you haven't even planted yet for in the fall and it's going to be right there, um, right, you know, looking really nice along with it. Chasta daisies, coreopsis, uh, gallardia, things of that nature right now, similar to the coneflower echinacea that you're talking about, are, are, are absolutely gorgeous. They will bloom for you sporadically throughout the season, meaning that they're going to grow, bloom for you throughout the whole season, but you're going to do some trimming to stimulate some new growth. They all think they're rose bushes. Now, that's something that I am going to try to promote for people purchasing this fall because you said it. When you get it next spring, it's all it's going to be, whether it's a four-and-a-half-inch pot or in a one-gallon container, that's as big as it's going to get. If you plant it now or in the autumn, basically you're going to have a root base that's going to be able to take hold a lot better than it would be, and you'd hopefully have some type of a head start for the following season at a better price, too. I'm presuming. I don't know if you guys are knocking it down or not. Oh, yeah. There's always a good deal to be had. All right. You ever seen a Montauk daisy? Montauk? Mm-hmm. No. Kind of looks like a Shasta daisy, but when Shasta daisies are just starting in the fall to maybe slip a little bit and not look quite at their peak. They're still going? A Montauk daisy just gets going. Does it have the large yellow button in it? It does. Okay. Yeah, white. Yeah, what size normally will it get? Uh, I've seen them in established beds, probably be in that two to two and a half foot range. So it can, we won't consider it's an average size. The Shasta will base Alaska will get up to four foot plus. Yeah, not as leggy, more no, more okay. bushy, more shrub like. And you got a large yellow button up. What's it called? The Montauk. 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 All right. You hear that, Scott? I want to jump back to the coneflowers. Go a to the coneflower because so Zach was talking about you're basically layering your perennials for your color to pop. Okay, different timing of blooms. To complement, right. Yes, different timing of blooms plus them sticking around for X amount of time. So the coneflowers, remember when we were talking with the uh, Gothic Garden Girl? Yeah. That she leaves her coneflowers up during Halloween when they're, I mean, they got that Gothic, you know, that haunted type of look. You can leave that up. Maybe you just cut the the flower the buds off and leave the stalks through winter. Like Morticia. For, for, yeah, for that right. for that color difference against the snow. We were talking about that one other show where you can, how you can leave things layered through winter and then cut them down in the spring. Well, it's so, like your grasses. Yeah, I was going to say ornamental grasses. It's, it's Same something that's It's 50-50 whether people will cut them down or leave them up there all winter long for, for some kind of winter interest. Yeah. I mean, for 100 years, people have been, you know, for autumn, thinking about burning bush. Well, yeah, everybody in their neighbor can have a burning bush. The common burning bush got as big as lilacs, even bigger than that. Now they've got dwarf. A dwarf is not going to stay at four feet. You can see maybe six or eight feet, but it's not going to get to the 15-foot burning bush. Uh, what else? Let's see. The, the autumn. What, 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 well, are, what are the some of the common ones, although we weren't really going to discuss that, but it comes, it always seems to show up that when... Trees or bushes are in bloom, and people are walking their neighborhoods. They're like, "Oh, I want one of those now because I see a blooming." So they run in the garden. And say it's like spring with forsythia. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, well, you know, everybody bought Witch hazel is not stock, a blooming plant. You know? Yeah, well, yeah, forsythia is a good example because it's it's stunning when it's in bloom, but when it's not in bloom... It's a weed! It, well, it's not necessarily a weed, but you don't notice it when you're walking the dog, and the garden centers aren't necessarily pushing it. You right. know, they, they might still have some, or they might, you know, have sold out, but it's it's one of those things where... Um, like going to a, like a panicle hydrangea, Mike, and like we were talking about, you know, some people might leave that dead flower on there till the spring cause they just like the way it looks or you can trim it off. So what's, what's a, what's a common fall plant that people always come in only after they see it. What basically what I'm trying to do is people listening today are going to get a jump start on grabbing some of the common plants and some of the new ones you talked about. So they can run to the garden center and be on top of it versus being chasing fall plantings. Yeah, get, you got names. Give a few names. Let's throw them out. Uh, I think uh, of of the ones that I'm that we've talked about for sure. The sweet autumn clematis. the The sweet autumn clematis is a plant that it's hard to if you see that in bloom. Yeah, uh, and you've been looking for anything climbing or anything blooming in your yard. Maybe you weren't even looking for something like a climber. Maybe you don't even own a trellis yet, but you see that and you've been looking for color in your yard in the fall. The sweet autumn clematis is going to be a plant that yeah, if uh, you've got a fence, you're not going to miss, and and you're going to look around and you're going to want to. You got a six plant. foot privacy fence, or you've got yourself a chain link. They'll do well. They're beautiful plants there. So, a, but a climber, you kind of have to think ahead. I mean, it, it. I mean, it may bloom a little bit this year, but I mean, in order for it to oh, look you'd be, really cool, you'd be shocked with that plant when it's in bloom <laughs> oh, at the yeah. garden center. Oh yeah, it's striking. People, but I mean, as far as size and coverage, yeah, it's I mean, that, be a it, it's a plan. You're gonna you're gonna have to accommodate that plant, but oh. it, um, but you know, I think a hypericum is another is a good one. The St. John's wort, both of them. Well, St. John's wort, yeah, that's that that's pretty. When you that see the fruit down wart, there, and you see almost a almost a candy colored fruit. It looks like a, almost like a Skittle or something that's not good for you as opposed to like, you know, a cherry but or a But the birds grape. love it. And the birds love it, but there's it's just... It's not poisonous either. I mean, no. people make tinctures, salves, and, and, and teas out of it. So very, very unique color, good fall foliage as well. And, and like right now, mine looks spectacular, but they're going to look spectacular all the way really until frost. You have them at your house or are you talking about your store? I inherited a few of them at a new house, which was lucky for me. Well, it was. I mean, St. John's word is, it's really kind of, it's not necessarily difficult to grow. It's difficult to find uh, for the most part. Well, it's Because people generally don't, don't carry a lot of them. No, and there's, there's an improved variety that we get from a vendor that they've got a lot of, uh, some of the branding around it. I believe one's called Sangria, one's called Champagne. Some of that's to do with the different colors. Um, but those, you know, again, they're looking good in the midsummer. So it's not like you got this real finite window in the fall where you're only going to catch them. You can find them a little bit before fall. You find them all the way through the peak season in the fall. You maybe even find some kicking around at the end of the fall before a place is shut down for winter or before they put their plants away. Okay. This is Zach Edwards, president and CEO of Black Diamond Incorporated of uh, Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, actually. And he's been basically been in the business. I think he was weaned off of, you know, junipers and ewes. Uh, making a long story short, we did a wonderful time right now, or had a wonderful time discussing just a few things about autumn growing. But when it comes down to we're all in the same zone. Closing, what do you recommend people basically do to get ready for next season with this in autumn? Uh 
If there's a plant that you like, don't be afraid to plant it now. Plant all the way up until the ground freezes. Mulch your perennial plants. Um, amend your soil if it's poor soil quality. Uh, and don't cover your roses. Don't cover your roses. That, I love thank that. you. All, that, that, all those old white cones that people used to buy they, and protect their winter. They were the ones that blew away and they broke. Yeah. No. And you know, the whole new theory on that one is just cut out the dead cane the following season. I mean, the crown is the only thing that's the most important part of the rose bush. From the crown, you get the establishment of the plant itself the following season. So having said that, Zach, anything else? No, take, we take, can't hear you shake your head, Zach. I, I, but I have one that he, he taught me. He did. You need to, you need to go to your garden center year round and take a walk as different things come into different blooms. You see that stuff and then you make mental notes. Yeah. Become sure. A- yeah. I mean, I spend my whole life at a garden center. So, I, but for sure, you know, if you only go to your garden center in the spring, you're probably missing out on a lot of things that would beautify your home and not only would help your local garden center, but you're missing out on things that, that you would enjoy. The difference really that I found out that the garden center, each one of those, let's say the box stores, Home Depot, Lowe's, um, Costco, Sam's, they all have a department which is basically like a garden center that's going to carry things that are similar to what you have. What is the one thing that the independent Mapa garden centers have that let's say that the, the big box stores don't? Uh, someone on staff who knows what they're talking about. Say that again? <laughs> someone who knows what they're talking about. And what do you do? You ask for that person. You ask someone who knows. Well said. That's a black diamond moniker. All right. Thank you, Zach Edwards. Uh, no, again, thank you. We're going to ask you, you to come Zach. on board this coming autumn, too, uh, to make sure that you know we fill in a couple, cross some T's and dot some I's and go from there. Sounds good. Thank you, guys. Zach Edwards, Black Diamond Garden Center's president and CEO. Thanks for listening to Your Midwest Garden. If you like today's conversation, please share this podcast with friends and family. And don't forget to click on the subscribe button so you won't miss any future episodes. Plus, if you have any show topics you'd like us to discuss, head on over to our sponsor's Facebook page, which is Black Diamond Garden Center, and message them your topic idea. For all of us at Your Midwest Garden Podcast, I'm Michael Rourke, the Garden Guy. Hope you enjoyed today's conversation.